Welcome to this week's NL Full Time. I'm Luke Edwards. And before we do anything else, I've just got to say congratulations to our colleague Rob, who has got married over the last couple of days. So congratulations to him. Joining us, we have got Dickie Wharton. Hello, Dickie. Good morning. Good to see you, Luke. And we've also got a special guest with us this week. It is BT Sports nationally commentator and, and commentator of all other things on BT Sport it seems this week. Adam Summerton. Hi, Adam. Morning. You okay? Very well, thank you. I know you've got a very long week and you've had a busy week. Um, so I appreciate you joining us on the podcast this morning. Um, rather than run through every result, Adam, I'm just going to ask you first off. Um, we'll start off with the underachievers. I'm guessing two of the bottom four in Halifax and Scunthorpe would be on your list. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's difficult to know what to expect from sides relegated from League Two these days. I think they're all finding it very difficult season in, season out. It's the sort of league that just kind of slaps you across the face, doesn't it? Um, When you're least expecting it. Um, And I suppose Scunthorpe might have been lulled into a slight sense of uh, security when, when, of course, they won on the opening day live on BT Sport, actually. I thought they looked quite good that day. But obviously things have, have not gone well for them since. They're on a, a long losing run now, part of company with their coach, bottom of the league, three points. I suppose, yeah, Halifax, having been in the playoffs last season, there was the changing coach though. And I think that whilst it was Pete Wilde's assistant who's taken over, it was always quite clear that, that Pete Wilde's fingerprints were all over that team, weren't they? And he was so important to their success over recent years. So it'll take an adjusting process and I think when you're assessing any team at this stage of the season you really have to be mindful of the fact that it is so early and with a lot of these squads we've seen a very high turnover of playing staff as well and yes with some they might settle quicker than others but I I think it's almost I suppose a little bit unfair to judge teams too much right now if you are talking about teams who, who are maybe not where I thought they might be at this stage Dagenham and Redbridge would be another one I looked at the way that they finished last season looked at their playing staff their manager, and I thought they they would be in and around the playoffs this season. They still might be, but they've they've certainly not had the um, the, the best of starts. So certainly not to the the level that one might have expected. But as I say, it's it's still such early days. It's interesting you say about Scunthorpe and the ex league team. You'd think you'd learn by now. Southend did it last year. Scunthorpe have done it. He kept a lot. And no, Dickie's mentioned it over the past few weeks. He kept a lot of the team that got them relegated. There's that losing mentality. It's weird how. These teams come down and still think you can just come in and maybe not walk it, but you know, they'll be steamroll a lot of the teams that are in the National League. And it doesn't happen that way, does it? No, it does. I mean, it's an extremely competitive league. I think it's more evidence, isn't it, year in, year out, as to the fact that the National League now, in terms of standards, is very close to League Two. I mean, how many more managers and players do we need to say this? And how much more evidence we do we need in front of our eyes before it's you know, it's painfully obvious that, that that is the case and it's maybe why some teams struggle. I mean, do they underestimate it? I mean, I guess only in the dressing room and in the manager's office you would be able to answer that question as to whether they, they have underestimated. I suspect they haven't because, you know, they'll have seen this happening year in, year out. It For me, it adds fuel to a, another debate about the fact that we should have you know, at least two automatic promotion places from, from the National League. You know, you see how teams coming down from... League Two. I know Grimsby went straight back up last season, but you'd hardly say it was routine, would you? I mean, it was, it was, uh, you know, they had to go through the drama of the playoffs and um, it wasn't easy for them at all. And it's, it's, it goes against the grain, against the rule, doesn't it, for a team to bounce straight back to 
the football league. So it's um, only been done twice, has it? Is that right? Yeah, it's yeah. I, I can't I, I can't remember exactly how long it had been, but oh, yeah, Grimsby did it. Grimsby did it last year, didn't he? I think they were the third yeah. team to come down and go straight back up, weren't they? Yeah. Very rare. Very rare that they do go straight back up. And of course, you know, I'm talking about Scunthorpe and because they're bottom of the league, but, you know, Oldham are 14th. Mm. Um, you know, so it's it's so, it is so difficult. I suppose if you to look at, you know, there, I talk about that slap across the face moment, welcome to the National League moment. Actually, I suppose you could say being beaten at home by a part-time club in Wheelstone is probably, you know, beating an ex-Premier League club away from home. Wheelstone, I mean, what a start they've had. Uh, and it just shows, doesn't it? As I say, a, a part-time club, um, very well run, a good manager. You know, whether they'll be able to continue it, who knows? But the start they've made at the other end of the spectrum has been absolutely fantastic. Yeah, just quickly on Oldham. I know I went on um, one of their podcasts at the start of the season and I know they're under no illusions at how hard they think it's going to be. But you read the forums and some are like thinking it should be, you know, up there challenging, some are being more realistic obviously with the takeover and stuff but you, know, you mentioned Wheelstone which is nicely onto our overachievers you, you've got Wheelstone and Barnet certainly up there as overachievers at the minute in terms of people's expectations also Yorker in ninth they're going along quite quietly we'll talk about the newly promoted teams as well and what your thoughts on them are but certainly Barnet and Wheelstone would be down as overachievers at the minute wouldn't they? Yes, absolutely. In terms of what you would expect, I mean, Barnet have been struggling for years now, haven't they? I think instability in terms of um, the man in the dugout has been obvious. And I don't think it's any coincidence that once they get that bit of stability with a former Wheelstone manager who got them promoted from the sixth tier, I don't think it's any coincidence that now we see them looking like a team. I was really impressed with them when we did them um, against Eastleigh on, on BT Sport last week. I thought they looked like they had cohesion. I thought they looked like they had balance. They've got good players. They've got a good manager. And, you know, I'd be surprised now having seen them with, if they didn't challenge for the playoffs. You know, automatic promotion is is it's just going to be too a bridge too far when you look at the quality that the likes of Wrexham, Chesterfield, Notts County and Solihull in particular have. But I don't see any reason why they shouldn't challenge um, for the playoff spots. Wheelstone... Um, they've had a fantastic start and they're playing some really nice football. I think that's important to stress with them. You know, you consider that their manager has them for three hours training a week, Tuesday nights and Thursday nights. I think he and his assistant are in together for one whole day a week. So for them to be achieving the brand of football that they're doing, not just the results is a massive compliment to them as people and their ability as coaches and players. So, you know, a, a big round of applause for them. I, for York, I'm quite pleased because I tip them as like my surprise package. So I'm quite pleased that, uh, mm. you know, they've they've made a solid start. But um, yeah, mm. I think it's fair to say that, that Barnet have, and Wheelstone have been the surprise packages. I know Boreham Wood tailed off at the end of last season, but we know the quality that they've yeah. got within their squad. So it's no surprise really to me to see them in the playoff places. Bromley just outside of the playoff places is about where I would have expected them to be. And right unusual now, suspect to, at the minute, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so similar with Eastleigh. I would have thought they'd be around about mid-table. I think they're slightly above it, aren't they? So Maidstone have had a solid start, really. I think you'd have to say that they're, they're mid-table. So what's starting to happen, though, as you probably have noticed, is that we're getting 
you know, the, the top three, the, the the squads that we always thought would be at the very top, the, the, the sort of the, the cream has risen to the top, maybe even earlier than some people expected with Chesterfield top, Wrexham second, Notts County third. They all had big wins yesterday as well. And whilst I think Solly Hull have, have got to be talked about as contenders as well, um, I think that we could well see that whilst Wheelstone, if they won today, would go, I think it's, I think they would go second, wouldn't they? So they could disrupt it a little bit. But I think in the, you know, going forward, I would fully expect those three to, to fight it out or, or those four to fight it out. Yeah, talking about it, of course, a little bump in the road on Saturday. They lost 3-1 at Aldershot. Rob has had an amazing weekend and he caught up with Dean Brennan to talk about the result and Barnet's season so far. Dean, tough result to take at, at, at Aldershot today. You've obviously had a, a pretty good start to the season, but y- your team didn't quite get it right today, did they? How, how do you feel about this performance today? Football suicide. Simple as that. You know, we spoke at half time. We, we didn't feel we were at the race. We didn't uh, felt we played well enough. Um, but the last thing we said, um, we spoke to the players about, was making sure we don't get beat. And to make the error we did, it just shows you how difficult this division is. Is it's just criminal. Um, so yeah, um, we felt the fourth goal was going to be big in the game. Uh, obviously, they got their tails up and they managed to get it. And then. Um, when they got that goal, though, uh, the ball's out by six yards. To be fair, the officials, they've been very good. They've been in the sense of, I had a chat with them inside, mm. and uh, they told me it was out. So they've admitted it, uh, which I appreciate, but it's criminal. It's not a yard out. It's like half a dozen yards out. So, And I'm from that bad defender from where left back, he gets rolled and obviously give away a penalty. So it's uh, we feel a bit, little bit unjust by it. But it is what it is. It's happened. And then to give away the goal, we give away. Did well to come back into the game. Mm. Um, and then just before half-time, he missed two or three guilt-edge chances. Nicky Commander's got a score. He's had, a, he's had four clear chances today. So he's got a score. Um, it's OK when you're winning, you can take all the plaudits, but you've got to be able to take the criticism as well. And I just felt today we were just naive. We missed Ryan de Havilland. We missed Danny Collins. Big players for us. Um, you know, playing the spine of our team. So, um, yeah, all in all, all the shot deserved a victory. Um with regards to your side this season, well, I, was, I was kind of looking at it compared to last year and obviously saw um, two or three players that were here last year. We've made a lot of changes. If there's a pattern to the players that you've got, I see that they're all names that I know are established at this level. They've played a fair few games at this level. They know the league. Mm. Yeah, it's important. Mm. Um, didn't look like they knew the league today, I've got to be honest. Um, but like at the end of the day, you know, we've recruited some good players. and they just mm. Apart from probably Jerome Akimo and Harry Pritchard today, I don't think anybody got to their levels. Um, everyone else was, was, was well below par. And that's what happens. If you have an off day in this division, you get beat. And that was Dean Brennan. And uh, of course, the reason we're doing it so early on Sunday morning is because it is the early kickoff on a Sunday. What a ridiculous time, Adam, to have a, a National League kickoff, eh? <laughs> a bit different. I think it's quite nice, actually. Yeah, it's, it's good for me personally, from a selfish perspective, I've got to say, not that this had anything to do with the kickoff time, because. Um, my youngest has just signed for Notts County's uh, girls team and she's got like a signing ceremony thing today. So I can go to that, whereas I wouldn't ordinarily have been able to go to it if I'd had a late kickoff like I normally do on a Sunday with the with the Italian football. So, but yeah, it should be good. Um, looking forward to seeing Wheelstone. Um, looking forward to seeing them, you know, for a full 90 minutes, watched highlights, reels, but it'll be good to see them for a full 90. Um yeah, and I think it, we should be in for a good contest. Um, been, I know they've been keen for us to get to Grosvenor Vale as well. I've had the, some people from the club saying to me on, on things like Twitter, when are you going to come to a, to our place? So we have been before, but you know, I think all the clubs are keen to get the, 
understandably the the live TV coverage. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Talk about the newcomers, then. I think they've all done pretty well so far. Gateshead got a vital win on Saturday. They beat the other new promoted side, Maidstone. Hacken Heretton was saying it was one step backwards after going two steps forward a couple of weeks before. Uh, Dorkin, they had a good start to life, didn't they? They've slipped, um, they've slipped over the last couple of weeks. They lost 5 0 to Wrexham on Saturday. Mark White didn't mince his words, it's fair to say. He wouldn't get away with uh, his interview on BT. The interview he gave to Dawkins Twitter yesterday, he basically just said he didn't defend very well. That's the clean version, isn't it, Dickie, I think? Uh, yeah, absolutely it is. Yeah, I got pushed in the direction of that last night. And, uh, you know, entertaining and forthright as ever, Mark White. But, yeah, you wouldn't have made it onto live television with that one. I have to say, I watched a different interview. I think it was one he gave to the BBC. And, uh, yeah, he... He was very forthright in a different way when he said that, you know, he's got to make decisions on players already who he feels there's the possibility they might not be good enough, which was, you know, to come out and say that at this stage of the season, it it, it raised my eyebrows. But, you know, he sees them day in, day out and he, he knows them and he's watching every game. And he obviously feels that it's got to that point already where he's got to some, make some tough decisions on some players. I think he's very pleased with some the thing that struck me when I, the only time I've watched them for 90 minutes this season was obviously the live game that we had against Oldham. And I just felt that whilst going forward, there's a lot of quality there. And I like that for a newly promoted side, I really like their drive and their ambition going forward as well. But it just struck me that there was a lack of balance. There was just, when they were open, they looked really open and they looked really, really vulnerable. Um and that, I suppose that's been borne out in the number of goals that they've been conceding. Um, I think, yeah, they, they, they've conceded the most in the league yeah. after the, after seven games, 20 goals. And, and they've got to find a way of, of getting more solid defensively. Otherwise, you know, you're always up against it, aren't you? If you're giving teams, you know, if, you, if you're conceding two and three goals every game, um, you know, even if, if you're as good as you are going forward, you're going to struggle. I think it's going to be quite ruthless, Mark White, because I think, He's worked so hard to get in there. I don't think he just wants him to go down with a whimper. And he has, if he has to upset some of the, I don't know, some of the loyal play, or players who've been loyal to him, then he'll do it, I think. Mm, I got that impression yesterday, yeah. I did get the the vibe that um, this is somebody who's prepared to be very ruthless. And look, you can't argue with with his record. I mean, this is clearly somebody who knows what they're doing. <laughs> but it's, it is, I have to say, I wasn't that aware of the story before the end of last season, the beginning of this, when I took some time and I took a whole morning actually and just read about them. Um, it is one, I think, one of the most mm. incredible sporting stories I've ever, ever come across. It is, it's, it's, it's movie worthy. It really is that incredible what they've done there. And as I say, somebody who knows what he's doing and, and will obviously feel like he can still keep them up. And, and, I, and I would say that he probably will actually, but it might involve some casualties along the way, if I can put it like that. I wonder who'd play Mark White. That'd be an interest. That'd be a good uh, Twitter <laughs> debate, wouldn't it? Who'd play Mark White in the movie? He'd want to play. He'd want to play himself. I think. Danny, to be Danny, perfectly Danny, honest, Danny I think Danny he'd want to write it. I think he'd want to direct it. I think. <laughs> Although to be fair, they've they've got their own YouTube series, haven't they? So he's kind of yeah. doing that already. Danny Dyer would be good, wouldn't he? <laughs> could see him walking in there, being a geezer. Um, the newly promoted sides and Gates said they're outside. The, none of them are in the relegation zone, which is, is really pleasing to see. Gates said, taking time to find a feet. You can talk to Dickie more about that because they play good football. Obviously, they've lost Sedwin, Scott McCauley, Langstaff. Maystone, solid start there in 11th. York are in 9th as well. Dorking, 
to say they're in 18th, but they're outside relegation on their one place above Gateshead. But so far, so good for the newly promoted sides, Adam. Yeah, and, you know, we talk about how, or I've talked about how perhaps we've seen evidence that the National League is, is, is getting as strong as League Two or has been for a while, really. I mean, what does that say about the sixth tier and the quality coming up from there? I think we have seen resources, got, you know, dropping that we've seen big investment from clubs at that level. And we have been doing for a number of years now. And, and that's perhaps taking effect in clubs coming up uh, uh, are, again, holding their own at this level. Um Gates said have got to take a lot of credit when you consider how many goals they lost over the summer with the pair that went to Notts County and the fact that, you know, they've still had a, a pretty decent start. I mean, th- that number of goals is exceptionally difficult to replace, isn't it? And to cope without. So to for that readjustment, readjustment, I think they deserve a lot of credit. But um, yeah, Maidstone mid-table as well. That That's a, a great achievement. I'm pleased for Maidstone. I mean, it, it was a... They're a very well-supported club. I think they're a welcome addition back into this level of football. They've got a nice facility there at the Gallagher Stadium. Um, I always enjoyed going there. And I'm pleased as well for Hacking, Hacking Hyretin because, the, you know, such a hard-working guy. Um, I, I don't know if you remember when we did that manager series on BT Sport where yeah. we followed a few of the, the National League managers. What an insight that was into how 24-7 how demanding it is even at this level of football, you know, in, in the sixth tier, how demanding yeah. it is on these guys and how they live and breathe every, you know, it's, it's like every minute of every day almost, it's all encompassing. So uh, knowing how hard he, I know they all work hard, but I've sort of seen him a bit more up close and yeah, really pleased for him that they, they got promoted and, and and how they've started as well. I think they've, they've, they've got to be reasonably pleased with that start, haven't they? I don't think anyone's got a bad word to say about Hacker and how they say he's such a lovely bloke. Um, Dickie, I suppose you can answer the question about the strength below. I mean, we'll look at the South later. For example, you could argue if Ebsley are in the National League this year, they'd be comfortably mid-table, especially with the start they made. But you look at the like of York and, Gate, York and Gateshead, Dickie, and even the teams he didn't come up, I mean, it's, it's, there's quite a lot of strength in depth now in the feeder leagues, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the fact that we've got fully professional sides in the National League North, you know, in the likes of Kings Lynn, um, in the likes of Fardu, I saw yesterday. You know, they 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 are the, the teams in waiting. You would you would think for coming up. I mean, with Gateshead and York, they took very different um, approaches over the summer. I mean, um, York, York had an always complete clear out of players. I think they kept only kept six from last season. Whereas Mike Williamson was very loyal to the group that he's got. Yes, they lost, you know, goals in Scott and Lang stuff. But Paul Blackett's a very capable. Deputy, he's got a decent pedigree from having, having been at Newcastle United, Adam Campbell as well. Um, I saw Gateshead getting praised for the way they played at Wrexham the other night as well, for the fact that, you know, they continued to try and play football, that they didn't just come and frustrate. I know it's easy for Wrexham fans to praise them for the way they play when they do eventually beat them and get the points. You know, you, you can do that when, you, when you're the victors. But, you know, I, I, I was... I did comment on that and said that, well, look, that's how Gates had got their success last season. I don't see Mike Williamson moving away from that. Um, and yeah, they're probably going to, are going to take a few losses playing that way, but he doesn't seem prepared to, you know, compromise that style that Gates had have got. So, um, you know, hats off to him. And also for York as well. I mean, good win away at Yeovil 1-0. I know John Askey said he could have scored more, but, uh, Adam's tipped him to be dark horse. I know Rob's tipped him to be in the playoffs. I, I sort of not tipped him to 
be in the playoffs, but I think they'll certainly be comfortably top 10. And um, the big thing for York as well, Adam, is they've got a manager who knows this league, has won this league, hasn't he? Yeah. No, he's, he's a fantastic operator, isn't he? I mean, we all saw that at Macclesfield for the number of years that he was there. It was funny because there was there was a time when I remember every time we went to Macclesfield, the first question to him was, are you staying? You know, Because there was always seemed to be a club he wanted him. It was always sort of the interviewer's first question. Um, and he, as I say, he stayed very loyal there. There was a, I remember he gave an interview once where he could sort of set, hinted that it, he might be open to going and we were all like gasping, you know, really, he's just said that? Because um, we thought he'd kind of be there forever. But yeah, I mean, he's proven he can do it elsewhere as well. It wasn't just the fact that he was at that one particular club. He's, he's an excellent operator, a good coach. What he's done is he's brought in a lot of players with an enormous amount of experience mm. at this level. That was one of the things that made me look at them and think, they could be a surprise package as a newly promoted side. Not that they'll go on and win the league. I think that would be too much to ask. But I think they can get in the playoffs. I honestly believe that. And you look, you know, you look, Mitch Hancock's is is there. McLaughlin's there. Bowden, John Lewis. Um, mm. You look right through the squad: Burgess, Kerr, Crooks, Fallafield, Whittle. You know, all of these players have got a lot of experience, haven't they, at, at that level of football? Yeah. And that's got that will count for quite a lot, particularly. Sorry, I was just going to say, and they don't see many goals either. On the Wheelstone, have conceded less goals than in the conceded. They've conceded least goals more than Wrexham, than Chesterfield. So it says a lot, doesn't it? Well, I think yeah, that's probably in part down not just to the experience within the side, which will help, but but John's ability to organise as well. Because yeah. if you remember, you know, <laughs> the side that he that he took to the title on paper, they weren't the best side in the league, were they? I mean, I think the previous season they finished. If memory serves me right, it was around mid-table, I think, maybe a bit higher than that. Um, but he, he got them together, made a team out of them, made them organised, made them hard to beat. Um, a, a team that was able to to grind out results at times when required to, they showed that capability. And again, it's another reason why I think that York will do pretty well this season. He's, he's a really, really good coach. I, I think he should be coaching in the Football League, to be honest. Re- I really do. I mean, I, th- I think that he's somebody who's proven over a long period of time that he's that he's very savvy, organises teams very well, and is very well respected within the game. So in terms of the top then before, obviously we have Chesterfield and Wrexham fans shout at us. Do you think it's between Chesterfield and Wrexham? Or I know I've sort of tipped Solihull Moors as well to do really well. Notts County had a really big win on Saturday. Macaulay Langstock got a hat-trick in that game. Um, do you think it's between Solihull, Notts County, Wrexham and Chesterfield for the title? Yes, I do. Yeah, I do for the title. Yeah, I mean, I think before the start of the season, I would have said Chesterfield, Wrexham and Notts County. In fact, I think I did actually in one of the predictions that I made. I wouldn't have included Solihull in terms of title challenges, but... I think the start that they've made that it would you've got to sort of include them in, but for me they would be the fourth if if you like if in terms of likelihood of winning it. Yeah. The big thing for me is that I just wonder. I don't think Wrexham are going to run away with it. I just don't think that's how the National League works. I, I could be proved wrong, but I just can. It's this level of football. The reason you've got players at this level of football who on their day are good enough to play as high as you know championship. League One, maybe even the truly technically gifted ones on the Premier League on their day. The problem is consistency. That's why they're not playing in those levels. So that to me makes me think that it would be difficult if consistency is sometimes an issue for any side to truly run away with it. We'll see on that. 
I know some people still think and the bookies still think that that's that is going to happen. Um, the other thing that intrigues me from a Wrexham perspective is the weight of history is that, you know, this is I think I'm right in saying their 15th season at this level of football. You know, when it gets to March and April and if it is still, you know, if Notts and Chesterfield, maybe Solly Hull are hanging on their coattails, will, will that weight of history tell a little bit? You know, will the fact that every single second is being filmed for a documentary, um, you know, will will that take its toll? I think there's so many potential factors that could influence Wrexham as to why I don't necessarily consider that it's a shoo-in that they'll they'll go on and do it. And 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 as well, Chesterfield and Notts County and Solihull are very good teams. You know, very good teams. There's a possibility that we could have four sides miles ahead of the rest. We'll see. Again, we'll see on that. But um I think there's, as, as we saw this weekend, there's a lot of quality within those squads that, that will be looking to, to pit Wrexham to it. I think the big thing about Wrexham is they can go out in January as well and then maybe spend just to strengthen, you know, to pull away. They from could, those... yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they could. You know, that, that's, that is the, the thing that they've got that, that, that clout to, to go and do pretty much what they want. And look, it's, it's a matter of time. They are going to get promoted. There's there's a will there. There's an expenditure there. And at, at some point, it's a bit like we thought with Salford, really. It was like, well, if they don't go up this season, it might be next. or it'll be the, But they'll get there eventually. And that, that they will. They will get promoted because, you know, there's determination to do that. And, um, you know, I think that the owners are putting their money where their mouth is and they deserve credit for that. I mean, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea that, that a, a club will look to do this. But I, I think that when... Um, new owners um, revitalise, re-energise not just a club but a community as well I think that you, you have to give credit for that in my opinion um, I, I think that they've, they're have they true to their word it would seem in that you can only judge what you see in front of you can't you so I, I think that um, they will get there eventually whether it will be as routine this season as some people seem to think I'm, I'm not so sure um, but I, I really like um, the look that I've seen of, of Chesterfield and Notts County and Solihull as well. So let's hope that that, that uh, yeah, Wrexham are kept honest for the, for the season and that we have a good title race. You just said about Wrexham there. I, I was going to ask you very briefly, you've been watching Welcome to Wrexham at all, Adam? Any any thoughts I, on it? I haven't because I don't have the channel. So, <laughs> so I haven't. I, I, somebody sent me, uh, showed me a clip. Um, I think it must have been from the first one where they played at Dagenham and Redbridge the end of, the previous season so I saw a bit of that and I keep getting texts off people all the time saying I hope you're getting royalties <laughs> yeah your commentary but, does feature quite a lot yeah so I did think that but, when I was uh, listening to it yeah you and Vergs yeah, yeah but uh, the, no check has arrived as of yet I can confirm <laughs> <laughs> just finally then obviously your old uh, your old mucker from BT Sport Chris Hargreaves at your but at the minute you're outside of the relegation zone and I think if you offered him 20th place now, you, you know him as well as, as we do. I don't know if you've been speaking to him recently. If you offered him 20th place, would he take it? I don't know about that. Uh, I wouldn't like to judge what Chris would say on that because I've not asked him. But I think that most Yeovil supporters realise that, you know, it's a very, very difficult job. I would argue that if you look at it in terms of budget alongside expectation, it's one of the hardest jobs in football right now. Um, because Yeovil, you know, this is a club that's been in the championship in really in fairly recent history. So the the supporter base there rightly have a level of expectation in in respect of that. But the budget doesn't match the expectation. You know, that's that's quite clear. You only have to look at where they're shopping 
where they're trying to get players, the amount of loan players that are coming in, how creative somebody like Chris is having to be there. What I'd say about Chris is that he's a very good communicator. Um, he is an excellent coach. And I think they've got a good a good man there. And I suppose people would say, well, he would say that because he's your mate. But, but I genuinely believe that those things to be true. I do think he's up against it in terms of the, the budget. But I think they'll be OK. I think they'll be OK eventually. Um, you know, it's not like they've been getting beatings every week, is it? I mean, all their no. games, I think, have, have been pretty close. Uh, they had a good win the other week. Uh, as I say, the games have been pretty tight. And he's got to, he's got to build a team. I mean, it's a, there's a lot of new faces there. So... A little, like I said earlier on, with, with with some of these other teams, it's it's a little maybe too early to judge. But I suppose that you know, if he were to get them, um, you know, anywhere near mid table, that would be a very good season. I would put it like that. I think if that's just my opinion, if they were to get anywhere near mid table, even lower mid, sort of the mid of between mid and low and and the relegation zone, I think that that would that would be a very a very good season. It would just maybe stabilise things and allow them to, a platform for growth next season. Do you think the fact he's been watching it with BT Sport for like two, three years, he can almost analyse every player and it, does it give him a little advantage in that way? You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, because, you know, he's a, a student of that level of football. I think another thing that's really important about Chris, and I said this to him actually before he went in to the job, is that Chris is, as, as I say, he's a good communicator and he's got a really proven track record working with young players for a long period of time now at Bristol Rovers, where he brought through a, you know, a, a large, a fairly large number of players actually who've gone on either at Bristol Rovers or gone to other clubs in the league, and are doing well. Um, I know he was very well thought of at Bristol Rovers. Uh, you don't last so many managerial changes, do you? Above you to and stay in the role for you not to be well thought of and very capable. So, and he is working with quite a few young players there. He signed quite a lot of young players. He's, he's somebody who gives youth a chance, partly, I suppose, in this situation, because he has to. But I think he's a, he does work very well with young players, a proven track record in that respect. And I think that's another reason why when your budget is one of the lower in the league, that is so important because you are going to have to be able to, mot- to motivate, bring through and develop young players because the budget isn't there to go out and do what a Wrexham might do and just pick cherry pick the very best who are ready to just go into the side and, and hit the ground running. You've got, you've, got to, you've got to help these players along, haven't you, at that, that young age? I was just hoping he'd get Timmy Mallet in as his assistant, but he hasn't, so he's let me down on that. <laughs> <laughs> but Adam, I, yeah. I know, conscious of time, you, you've got to head off to Wheelstone, so... Thank you for taking time out and joining us. Pleasure. Good to see you both. So we talked about Wrexham. Obviously, there was an interesting um, tweet from Ryan Reynolds this week because he can't watch Wrexham games when he's over in Canada or LA or wherever he's based in the North Atlantic. Um, and he's wanting the league to be able to let teams stream. It's a very thorny issue, isn't it? It's all to do with the 3pm blackout, basically, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, and obviously, you know, the reasons for that 3pm blackout in place are about protecting clubs um, and, and making sure that, you know, the, the, the smaller clubs further down the pyramid don't see their uh, attendances dissipate because people are, are staying at home to watch, you know, Manchester United versus whomever at 3pm on a Saturday afternoon. Um it's obviously something that's a puzzlement to Ryan Reynolds. The 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 way that um, 
um, broadcasting of, of sports in the United States tends to work is, is different. Um, you know, I follow other sports in the United States and you can do things like sign up for a, a season pass, which essentially gives you access to any game that you can just sort of like dip into um, when it's taking place. So I can see that would be a puzzlement to him. Um, and, you know, clearly this is, he would want this for the benefit of Wrexham Football Club as well. You know, there are some potential benefits for the rest of the league, although that I think that very much depends on on the model that they that, that they adopt. Um, but I don't think we should be any doubt that this is about him seeking to capitalise on the fact that the documentary is being broadcast now, that it's getting a lot of attention um, on the other side of the water from people who, um, you know, have seen it or are fans of both him and Rob McElhenney. Um, And obviously, if they can um, get people to watch games um, streaming and have them paying for that, then that's all, you know, that's another income stream for Wrexham Football Club. Um, But yeah, the league responded with... um, a statement of their own probably a day or so later, which suggested very heavily that there had been discussions about this going on for a long time. Um, and it's going to be discussed at a board meeting later this month. So whether he was just sort of trying to, to push that a little bit further, he was just frustrated by the pace of change um, and, and the speed uh, that these things take. But, you know, I do also take the league's point of view of this. If they've got the, the, the welfare um, uh, and, They've got to weigh up, you know, how this affects 71 other teams in the league, not just how it might benefit Wrexham Football Club. So that's kind of where we're at at the moment. And ultimately, I don't think the final decision is going to be made on a tweet from Ryan Reynolds either, is it? No, I don't think so. You know, I know some people might have um, seen the statement come out the following day and thinking that, oh, no, the league have had to act because, you know, this Hollywood star power as... as um, uh, you know, come out swinging with a few tweets about this. I do genuinely think that there have been discussions about this in the league and, and then it might have been him just trying to push the pace of that along a little bit faster. But yes, um, I think the league uh, will, you know, as much as it might take their time, I think they will act in the benefits of of everybody because they've got to, because, you know, look, realistically, if Wrexham win promotion this season, they're gone and out of the National League. And I think that the danger of of saying yes to this because of a, a you know, a Hollywood star and his mate um, want it could be to the detriment of the other clubs in the league. And I think sometimes you, you, you put in solutions um, quickly and then repent you know, over a longer period of time. And if they if they put something in that's not right and doesn't work for, you know, the benefit of all clubs in the league, or at least doesn't take into account they're all their different, you know, uh, things that the, uh, the way that different clubs are run, um, you know, you could lend yourself up with a problem. So um, I can see his frustration. I can see why he wants it. I can also see why the league are acting in the way that they are. So we, you know, we just have to wait and see what happens in the next episode, so to speak. <laughs> it's yeah, literally the next episode of um, Reynolds versus the league. I have I have often thought that a documentary series behind the doors of the National League for a season would be absolutely brilliant, but uh, yeah, it, it I, I would don't never think... happen. It's not no, happening. No, I don't think that's happening anytime soon. But you know, just. 
to be fair, it's one aspect of football that we haven't seen. You know, we've had so many behind the scenes documentaries about individual clubs, but actually behind the scenes documentary about a league and all the things that they have to weigh up in trying to balance the competing interests of 72 clubs would be absolute, you know, dynamite for a football nerd like me but you know probably wouldn't be quite so interesting you know people people like the ryan reynolds factor don't they i don't think with it um you know with no disrespect to anybody that we know at the national league i don't think they've quite got the star power that he has i could do someone like patrick stewart or ben kingsley narrating that as well (laughs) yeah quite possibly <laughs> David Attenborough would be good. He could do you it know, voice, David Attenborough was the name that popped into mind there. You know, this sort of like here um, at the National League, they are trying to sort out seventy-two. Club. It'd work, wouldn't it? It would. It would. Yeah, you know, it'll be a bit like those. You know, when you see all those lions or cheaters ganging up on sort of like a defenceless um, wildebeest or something like that's that. That's our in the guys with seventy-two clubs approaching. Yeah, that's yeah, that's <laughs> that, that, that's when that's when um, you know. All the big clubs gang up on the little ones. Yeah, but no, we are joking about this. Um, yeah, we'll wait and see what happens with it, with this streaming thing. Clearly, there would be some benefits. It'd be great for us to be able to watch more games, you know, without uh, having to leave the home. But the fact is, we do go out and watch games anyway. And I think the fear is that streaming games stops people actually leaving their sofas and getting out to clubs. And and aside from the financial aspects of this, you know, it's the connection aspect. It's the actual being in the same stadium as those other people supporting their football teams, that there's what football is about. And, you know, do we want to reduce it to just purely a, a TV spectacle? I don't think we do. Bro, well, we're going to move on and look at the National League North next. So in the National League North, Kingsland are still top. They're only top, top by a point. It could have been a lot better for them. They were 3-0 up at half-time against Chester, and then it kind of unravelled a little bit. Yeah, it did. I can't imagine um, Tommy Widdington is is thrilled with um, a point after being 3-0 up at half-time. But it, it sounded like it was quite a comeback from Chester um, in that game yesterday. It was actually 2-0 after just four minutes to Kings Lynn. There was a penalty conceded in the third minute put away by Golden Mateo. Theo Widrington, uh, son of the manager, scored from the halfway line, I gather, after about four minutes. I'm looking forward to seeing the highlights in that one. And then Jordan Ponticelli, the former Wrexham striker, made it 3-0 just before the stroke of uh, of half-time. But yeah, quite some comeback from Callum McIntyre's Chester goals from Ewan Murray, Danny Devine, and an 86-minute equaliser from Kurt Willoughby. Chester did seem to go in very much for the, the the late dramatics last season, and it looks like that's a characteristic that the the team has still got. Although I did watch Callum McIntyre's post match interview, he said, "Don't let anybody be fooled." As much as we're pleased with the point from being three 0 down, and although we weren't absolutely dreadful in the first half, he said the players here need to be under no illusions that basically the first half wasn't good enough. Um, but it is a draw that will feel like a win to them. It's a draw that I wouldn't say it'll feel like a defeat to Kings Lynn. But, you know, I suppose it's just a little bit of a reminder to them that, you know, you've got to keep your foot on the gas, haven't you? Yeah, point behind them, Ambry, another outstanding result for them. They beat Southport by three goals to one. And when you consider they lost Chris Ray in the summer to South End, and then on deadline day, they lost Morgan Roberts as well. He's moved up. To move to Swindon and doing doing a fantastic job, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely, he is. And and you know, we we spoke about this 
how much they won the league by last season and whether that, you know, just that winning mentality in the group means that they're able to shrug off losses like the losses of those two players. They were up against it for a little bit yesterday. Declan Evans had put Southport in the lead in the first half. It was 1-0 at half-time. But yeah, they they roared back in the second half. Uh, Goals from Jack Stevens, um, Harry Parsons and uh, Giorgio Rasulo with a penalty in the 76th minute. So, yeah, didn't help that Southport had Keenan Quanza sent off in the 76th minute as well when the score was 2-1. But, yeah, that would be disappointing for Liam Watson. Obviously, his side had a lead, but but, uh, another great result for Banbury. Southport down there and struggling a little bit this season, Dick. Imagine they they started off the season slow last year and we said, well, they struggle, and then they they kind of all of a sudden they're in the playoffs, weren't they? Yeah, they were the last side to get a win on the board in the National League North last season. I think it took them until about the second week of October to get their first league win. And then that opened the floodgates. They went on an absolutely crazy run. I think they were the form team in the division up till about Christmas, winning week after week after week. And it genuinely was winning. It wasn't just unbeaten. They were they were, they were beating all comers. Um, and then it tailed off a bit again after Christmas. Uh, Doug Tharm, um, was sold to Blackpool in the transfer window. They they lost Marcus Carver. Oh no, Marcus Carver was a no. He was their player. Yeah, um, they lost a couple of players there. Thorn was lent back to them, but they lost that momentum. Um, so they, you know, they they have got points on the board more than they had at this point last season. I know Liam Watson, when I spoke to him last week, said that they do. They they do have a lot of injury problems and they did only make one substitution in the game. I saw them in last weekend indicating that they perhaps hadn't got that much on the bench that they could employ to to change a game the way it was going. Um but yeah, um a decided a decidedly middling start for Southport, you'd say. Yeah, point behind Banbury are filed. You saw them, they played Telford, didn't they, on Saturday? What what did you make of it? Um I I thought you could tell that Fylde are, you know, one of the better sides in the division. I didn't think they were outstanding on the day. I think Kings Lynn certainly looked a better side um, for, on the evidence of what I saw when I saw them a couple of weeks ago. But Fylde have got the X factor. They've got Nick Horton. They've also added Danny Rowe to that as well. He he was greeted as the returning hero yesterday and, and got his first goal back in Fylde colours after just four minutes. Horton got the second goal after 28 minutes. In between time, I think Telford done reasonably well, um, but the difference was in in the forward department and in the firepower. Telford did get a goal back fairly soon afterwards through Byron Moore. Um, but yeah, there was a third goal in the second half. It was credited to Tom Walker. I tend to think it was a Matt Brown own goal um, from my own view of it. And certainly from speaking to other people who were there, they felt Brown slid in um, he had to do something as Walker was lurking behind him and ended up putting the ball into his own net. Um, obviously, it's a disappointment for Telford. They're not where they they hoped they might be. And, and Paul Carden knows that there's work to do. They've been hamstrung, not hamstrung, or um, they, they've been missing Jason Oswell with a calf injury, which I'm led to believe has um, now transpired is actually a stress fracture in his leg. So um, that's a blow to Telford because obviously they were, they were looking to Jason Oswell for goals this season. Jamie Allen came on um, a 10-minute cameo at the end of the game and, and showed some pace, looked like he had something about him. But overall, I think from the outside looking in, you'd look at that and go, that wasn't an unexpected result. And you would think that looked like a fairly comfortable win for Foyle. 
maybe not as comfortable as the scoreline suggests, but yeah, ultimately they got the job done. Yeah, two teams are really obviously Kidderminster out of surprise there in the playoffs at the minute in fifth. Darlington also in seventh place. They had a big win over Boston. We'll get on to Boston shortly, Dickie, but two surprises in the playoffs at the minute, Scarborough and Leamington. Yes, indeed. I mean, uh, you know, Leamington, um, how many times do we say about Paul Holler and that, you know, he he knows what he's doing. Um, you know, their, their, their winner yesterday came from a player I know well, Theo Street, um, helped keep a clean sheet against uh, Bradford and actually scored the winning goal after 21 minutes. And I think, you know, Paul Holleran just gets players in who um, fit the style that he wants to play. There aren't a huge amount of frills in, in uh, you know, in that Lamington side, but they do what they do extremely effectively. Um, you know, he brings in players to play specific roles, doesn't ask them to do any more than they're not capable of. And, 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 it works. So, yeah, t- terrific for, for them yesterday. They've had a really bright start to the season. Scarborough taking people uh, a little bit by surprise, um, perhaps. But, you know, Farsley did struggle last season and, and that struggle continued on into this season. Scarborough were 2-0 up um, at half-time. Uh, Farsley got a goal back, but then two more goals from Scarborough. Dom Tier on, on target. He got one of them, took the game away from them. Adam Clayton did get a consolation back for Farsley, but yeah, um, another terrific result for the Sea Dogs. Down at the bottom, Boston is still bottom, only on three points. They got thumped at Darlington. They did take the lead, and I saw Paul Cox's interview afterwards, and he sort of said, we were comfortable, and then he called it a needless sending off, and it, it just kind of folded from there. Yeah, he, he did point very much to um, the red card as being the turning point in the game. They led through a Scott Pollock penalty after 20 minutes, but LeBrun and Becker sent off just before half-time. I don't think he had too many um, arguments about the fact that it, it was a dismissal, Paul Cox, but um, clearly they, his team then folded in the second half. Goals from Beck, Hazel and Lawler in the space of 13 minutes in the second half. And took it to 3-1. Pollock did get a goal back in the 90th minute. But yeah, Boston winless in seven um, and, you know, conceding a lot of goals as well. You know, we, we talk about the thumping that they had on opening day against Southport at home. They lost 4-1 at home against Chorley as well. So, you know, they, they just can't keep the back door shut. And I think that's the problem. I think perhaps a Paul Cox side, the way they would normally play, might be picking up more results if, you know, they were just able to be more tight defensively, but it's clearly an area where they've got problems. Um, and yeah, I sense unrest amongst the Boston fans because, you know, let's be honest, Paul Cox's style isn't the most pleasing on the eye. And if it's not producing results, I think that's going to produce a, you know, a turn in the way fans feel about him quite quickly. The six teams are locked on 10 points. Some rather surprising ones. You almost file under the could do better bracket, couldn't you? Spenny Moore and Brackley being two of those teams, Dickie. Yeah, they are. I mean, Brackley, look, they got a six point last weekend, last weekend. Um, we perhaps maybe shouldn't be surprised by a goalless draw um, with Chorley at Victory Park. They are two of the tightest defensive teams defensively in the National League North. So if somebody had said to me, one of those games in that division is going to be a nil-nil tomorrow. Which one's it going to be? That's probably where I would have laid my money, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah, Spennymore is 
uh, again a bit of a surprise you know they they uh, they've gone through some upheaval you know i think uh, johnson and morley are still trying to shape things the way they want it but you know they led after a minute through glenn taylor yesterday but then they were two one down by half time nathan lowe and christian pierce with goals and then uh, goals in the second half from Fremantle and hemmings made kidderminster very comfortable in the end peter sports are also in that playoff mix um had a couple of if results recently, but they, they thumped by Spartans on Saturday. And I was going to say the A1 derby, it's a massive long way, but it's basically up, up and down the A1, isn't it? And it was a, a it, long trip back for Blythe. It is. It would have been a very miserable trip back up the motorway for Blythe last night after uh, a 4-0 defeat at Peterborough Sports. Uh, Lawler, Jones, Nicholson and Jarvis on target, two goals in each half. I think... Um, uh, the Blythe fans probably enjoyed their day out to a uh, you know a different stadium they've not been to, but I don't think there was anything on the field um, that to excite them. And it, it, I suppose it just underlines the job that Graham Fenton's taken on there as well. Um, also, probably a notable away win for Curzon Ashton, three 0 at Gloucester. That's a, a really good result for them. Goals from two goals from Tom Pierce uh, and a goal, a penalty from Josh Hancock. I mean, those two were a forward pairing in the division above last season, so. Um, again, I think anybody writing off Kurz and Ashton would do so at their peril because they clearly have got some quality on that side. Well, National League South, Dickie, and we were talking earlier with Adam about teams in the North and South who almost oven ready to go into the National League. One of those is Ebsley. They're still unbeaten, 100% record, 7 out of 7. They beat Bath by 3 goals to 1. And you almost felt if you placed Ebsley in the National League now that they'd, they'd certainly be bottom half to mid-table. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, it, it you get the feeling that they, I mean, it was a hair's breadth, that playoff final um, against Dorking Wanderers. Um, and you get the feeling whichever one of those two teams got promoted would, you know, have uh, done equally as well in, in the division above. I mean, it, it's an absolutely fantastic start for Dennis Kutryeb. side. 21 points from 21. Uh, Dominic Pullian's the leading goal scorer in the division. He's averaging a goal a game. He's got seven. Um, I suppose now we start talking about, I mean, they're not certainties. They're absolutely not certainties. But, you know, everybody's now looking with an eye to, you know, when's their first slip going to come? Um, I think they're the only team in the entire, well, the, the top six divisions of football in this country that are still 100%. Um the record will go some time, but, you know, goodness me, they've given themselves a tremendous start to the season. Yeah, Dominic Pullman's having the most prolific part of his career. He's got seven, as you mentioned, just in five games this season. He got 17 in just 13 last season. But saying all that, they're only two points clear of having. Normally, you'd be looking going, well, the eight or nine points clear, it's going to be a tough ass. But one slip up for Ebsley and all of a sudden having a top if they win. They won 4-3 away at Chelmsford in a really... Topsy-turvy game. They were ahead three times where have it. James Roberts with a penalty. Joe, Joe Walter put them back ahead by two goals to one. Uh, Ladovica open equalised for Chelmsford. Charlie Ruff equalised again on a stroke of half time. And Simeon Jackson put Chelmsford ahead. They were three two up. Jake McCarthy put Haven back ahead in fit on battle level, sorry, in the 57th minute. For that man, Jason Pryor got a goal in the 85th minute. So, you know, as we said, one little slip from Ebsley and if haven't carry on winning, all of a sudden they're top. So it's very, very competitive at the top of National League South. It is, yeah. And, and you know, haven't, have, 
they've had a difficult spell. They certainly, you know, we, I remember us discussing the footage last year of Paul Doswell speaking to the supporters after a disappointing result where he was, you know, bemoaning the fact that the season before last, the season had got cut short. Um, he was talking about the injury problems they'd had last season. And, you know, he looked like a man under a degree of pressure, which is a fairly unusual state of affairs for Paul Doswell. But, uh, you know, they look like they've come, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that uh, Ebbsfleet were 100%, fairly sure haven't would be top with that kind of record. It's just that, you know, you've got to take second place to a team that have won seven out of seven. But it's a really, really strong start for them. They look as if they're more the haven't Waterlooville that we kind of expect them to be. Um, and the side that, you know, that with the with the players they've got that they ought to be really. So, um, yeah, that, that, that it's a good, great start for them too. Yeah, the top two seem clear already, having a four points clear of surprise package worthy who were in third. They won one nil away at St Albans. Louis White, Lewis White, sorry, with a goal there. He's on loan from I'll do that again. Surprise package worthy Lewis White with the only goal four minutes from time. He was a free agent sign from Charlton in step three in the summer. Worthy doing really, really well. And we talk about nearly promoted sides, Dickie, but I think people expected Wayne to do well, but not this well. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, but I mean, unbeaten in seven games. It's you know that they haven't lost a game yet. Four wins, three draws, um, and you know they're probably doing better than maybe even they have a right to expect. You know, but it is a terrific um, start for them. There always seems to be in in you know the north and the south. I would say there's always a promoted side that makes a good fist of going close again the following season and it, it's it got all um, it looks like it's going to be Worthing in the south this season who who will fill that role Yeah, Chelmsford as we mentioned despite that defeat they're in fourth on 14 points and behind them the th- the three teams on 13 Braintree, Welling and Bath all won Braintree had a brilliant 3-1 away in the Essex Derby away at Concord although there are quite a few Essex Derbies in the National League South <laughs> two goals Coming from Aaron Blair, he's on loan from Dagenham and Redbridge. Lamar Reynolds with the other for Braintree. So they're flying well in. It seems like they had a slow start to the season, but they're really picking up now. And Adi Aziz with a hat-trick for Welling and also Steph Payne with two. They beat Oxford City by five goals to nil. I know Joe predicted Warren Feeney to be first man out the door because they've gone full-time. And after a slow start, they're starting to flex the muscles now, aren't they, Welling? Yeah, they are. And I mean, looking at the table there, I, last season, it was only last season, literally just a few months ago, that we were talking about Chelmsford, Braintree, Welling and Bath as being too close to the bottom end of the National League South table for comfort. And, you know, fast forward to the first week of September. And yes, it's early days, only seven games played. But they're, they're filling four of the seven uh, or four of the six playoff spots. Now, you know, we got an awful long way to go, but it just shows you how quickly things can, you know, turn around um, and, you know, get your summer recruitment right, get off to a good start. Um, and it can be a completely different story. Yeah, and the frowns at those clubs have well and truly been turned upside down. Now, we joke about uh, worrying about Rob Dre. We don't need to worry about Dre at the minute. Taunter in ninth, they won 1-0 away at Hungerford. In terms of underachievers, Dickie, we talk about this a lot on podcasts, on the podcast, Dartford. And St Albans, we mentioned St Albans, they lost at home 1-0 to Worthy, but Dartford, they lost away at Chippenham and it saw a welcome return to the ground for 
Pablo Martinez, he collapsed a couple of weeks ago. He was he was up and about, obviously not playing, but he was there. And I think that maybe inspired his teammates because he fell behind to Dartford, but a last-minute goal in the second minute of injury time from Jordan Young saw Chippenham take all three points. But Dartford, Alan doubted it's just not quite working out for them in a minute. It isn't at the moment, no. And it's funny when when I you know, was thinking about the fact that we were going to be talking about the South and thinking about Ebb's fleet. I don't think they necessarily went, you know, seven wins out of seven at the start of last season. But Dartford were a team that had, a, a, again, a, a, a similar tremendous start in the South last season. Um, ended up only being in a playoff place and obviously ultimately didn't um, make it. And, yeah, to be where they are is is absolutely disappointing. You know, I... Yeah, there will be a little bit of settling in. They, they've got to get used to the way Alan Dowson does things, um, you know, both off the field and on, you know, in terms of his management style, etc. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine that that is where Dartford, where their board of directors imagined that they would be when they brought Alan Dowson in. So I'm not suggesting he's under any pressure, but, um, you know, he knows they need to do better. I'm sure of that. Yeah, another underachievers, Hampton and Richmond Borough. I spoke to Tom Tom Wang briefly yesterday. He's feeling very down. He thinks that they're playing well, but not taking the chances. But they lost 2-1 in the last minute down at Slough. Dulwich Hamlet again underachieving after a bright start in the first couple of games. They lost again 3-1 away at Tombridge. Weymouth and Hemelhunster down the bottom four. They played each other. Surprise, surprise you. Nil-nil. Weymouth picks up their second part of the season. Hemelhunster as well played with 10 men over 70 minutes. So a bit of a worry for Weymouth that he couldn't break down a fellow at the minute relegation rival who had 10 men for 70 minutes. Yeah, that would be a disappointment. You know, when, you, when you've got that long or that much time in front of you in which to, to crack that particular nut, the fact that you don't get through um, and, you know, don't get anything against them other than just like a point for a goal is true or absolutely is, you know, a disappointment. But how many times do we see 10 men um, you know, tighten up, uh, particularly when you're away from home. You know, they, we talk about a point on the road, any point on the road being a good point. And, you know, if um, if Hamel Hempstead have parked the bus a little bit in order to to depart with something um, after the the sending off of Harris O'Connor was, then, you know, good luck to him. That, that, that's absolutely down to Weymouth to solve that problem. And they didn't prove themselves capable of it. Yeah, and the battle then looked them outside. Chestnut, they remain, they remain in the bottom four. They lost one at home to Farnborough and also Eastbourne Borough. They beat Dover by three goals to one. Two goals there for Jake Hutchinson. And if you are listening to us on the Sunday evening, you've got until midnight to vote for us in the Football Content Awards. Go to their website, go to Best in Non-League and pick us. And hopefully we can win an award this year. So, Dickie, thanks for joining us. No, no, always a pleasure. And um, yeah, really good to have your company and to have a chat with Adam this morning too. And just to note as well, it's the FA Cup draw on Monday. The National League North and South sides come in. Um, I High got through, so could be coming to a National League North ground near you very soon. Sorry, yeah, we could be, asking, could, could be asking if your spare room's available <laughs> for an overnight. You keep sweating now. The thought of Telford getting hired and getting beaten off. <laughs> <laughs> well, after after after, I didn't exactly bait John Bishop the other week, but after asking him if he'd forgiven uh, Telford for beating Hyde something like thirty three years ago, it would just be poetic if if we were to draw you and get knocked out by you. Ghost of John Bishop. 
<laughs> I think you're breaking some news about John Bishop there that no. hasn't, hasn't reached the mainstream media, but there we go. Yeah. As in a footballing ghost, should I say. Uh, there okay. we go. Right, we got you. On that bombshell, uh, we will leave you all and make sure you follow us on Twitter at NL Full Time. Go to follow on Instagram. And um, that is it. Give it, leave us a like and a review and subscribe as well. See you all very soon. <laughs> <laughs>